Welcome to journeywithjesus.net, a weekly webzine for the global church. I'm Daniel B. Clendenin. My essay this week is entitled, We Get to Be Human, and is based upon the lectionary readings for Sunday, October the 8th, 2006. A few weeks ago, I biked over to the Superior Court Building on Grant Avenue for jury duty. Who was assigned to the same jury pool but my neighbor, Pam? Knowing that she had a wonderfully wry sense of humor, and that both of us had spent time in that very building with our teenage sons, as we took the elevator to the third floor, I stared at the floor as you do in elevators, and then casually remarked, You know, I've seen about as much of this building as I care to see. Pam roared with laughter. Isn't that the truth? The architecture of the Superior Court building in Palo Alto, I might add, is what I would call government drab, not nearly as pretty as the historic Spanish mission style of the Superior Court in downtown Santa Barbara, where I've also done a tour of duty with a different son. I once asked a therapist if she thought I was normal. I should have known better, but I was hoping that despite working through marriage problems, that despite an uncertain future, and that despite spending time in court with my two teenage sons, as an expert in these matters, perhaps she might certify that I was still okay. No such luck. Sister Anne responded my question with awkward silence and then said, what's normal? Later, I realized that she was trying to help me to stop comparing myself to others to stop thinking of myself always and only in the best possible light, to stop pursuing an unattainable ideal, and to come down from my pedestal and join the human race with all its ambiguities and afflictions. In retrospect, I think that during that period in my life, I embodied some version of this week's Psalm chapter 26. I read Psalm 26 as a psalm of sanctimony. It just mystifies me how David, eloquent confessor of adultery and murder in Psalm 51, could portray himself with such smug sanctity. Listen to Psalm 26. Vindicate me, O Lord, for I have led a blameless life. I have trusted in the Lord without wavering. Test me, O Lord, and try me. Examine my heart and my mind, for your love is ever before me, and I walk continually in your truth. I do not sit with deceitful men, nor do I consort with hypocrites. I abhor the assembly of evildoers and refuse to sit with the wicked. I wash my hands in innocence and go about your altar, O Lord proclaiming aloud your praise and telling of all your wonderful deeds. I love the house where you live, O Lord, the place where your glory dwells. Do not take away my soul with sinners, my life with bloodthirsty men, in whose hands are wicked schemes, whose right hands are full of bribes. But I lead a blameless life. Redeem me and be merciful to me. My feet stand on level ground. In the great assembly, I will praise the Lord. 
David's self-righteousness reminds me of the character Mrs. Turpin from the short story called Revelation by the Southern writer Flannery O'Connor. Mrs. Turpin was a good, decent, upright, and proud woman who did everything right, except for the unpleasant fact that she was a self-righteous racist. She was a person, writes Flannery O'Connor, quote, who when she entered heaven needed even her virtues burned away, end quote. When I read this week's Old Testament story from the book of Job, with its tale of human devastation and the earnest but unctuous speeches of his three friends who tried to fix him, I began to think of my circle of family, friends, neighbors, and acquaintances. I thought about the devils that threatened to undo them. Here are some of the Job-like trials that the people I know and love now face. Hospitalization for clinical depression. Obsessive compulsive disorders that require psychiatric care. Obesity. Four people with brain tumors. Five suicide attempts. Questions about sexual identity, including homosexual, bisexual, and transgendered people. Divorce, which by the way is the subject of the attempt to trap Jesus in this week's Gospel in Mark chapter 10. HIV-AIDS, vehicular manslaughter, teenage eating disorders that required hospitalization, cancer, involuntary unemployment, and the death of a parent. Such is humanity's baseline normal that Sister Anne was trying to get me to understand and embrace rather than to deny, that Job in his agony exemplifies and that belies David's saccharine sanctimony. The New Testament, this reading from the book of Hebrews, affirms that wherever we find ourselves, God speaks to us at many times and in various ways. Maybe he speaks to us through a book, a film, a friend, a song, perhaps a dream, a work of nature, or maybe a work of art. Ultimately, though, God most fully reveals who he is and what he is feeling, thinking, and doing in Jesus. The sun, we read in Hebrews, is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. In order to demonstrate the deepest heart of God, Jesus shared humanity's flesh and blood, was made like us in every respect, suffered like we do, prayed, says the author, with loud cries and tears, died a violent death, tasted death for everyone, and in some mysterious way by his death, destroyed him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and freed those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. Conquering sin, death, and the devil is, in fact, a convenient shorthand for who Jesus was and what he did. Mercy, empathy, and compassion thus characterize the God we worship. In an interview with Anne Lamott, 
a person who was no stranger to pain, Linda Berturian asked her what she most wanted to convey to her son Sam about God. I want to convey that we get to be human, Lamont answered. She continued, we get to make awful mistakes and fall short of who we hope we're going to turn out to be. That we don't have to be what anybody else tries us to be so they could feel better about who they were. We get to screw up right and left. We get to keep finding our way back home to goodness and kindness and compassion. I want Sam to know that no matter what happens, he's never going to have to walk alone. That's what I'm trying to convey to Sam. And now for further reflection. How do you understand the book of Job? Number two, what do you make of David's psalm? Vindicate me, Lord, for I have led a blameless life. Number three, how and why have at least some Christians gained a reputation as holier than thou? And finally, what do you think Anne Lamott means when she says that we quote-unquote we get to be human. And can that perhaps become an excuse or even a rationalization? For books this week, I rever review Shouts and Whispers. 21 writers speak about their writing and their faith. Edited by Jennifer L. Holberg. Grand Rapids, Erdman's 2006. 257 pages. In 1990, Calvin College in Grand Rapids, Michigan began a biennial festival of faith and writing. Over the last 15 years, attendance at the three-day conference has grown tenfold, which is no surprise given the broad diversity of wordsmiths that, have they, that they've attracted. All 21 essays and interviews in this collection originated at one of the festivals. As with any edited volume of multiple author, the quality varies, and each reader will have their own favorites. I especially enjoyed the breadth of backgrounds, craft, and views represented in this volume. My favorites included Jan Caron, who quit a successful career in advertising, bought a used computer, and in her 50s wrote the first of her Mitford novels that have now sold 10 million copies. I also like the southern sub subverter of all cultural status quos, Will Campbell, and the interviews with Kathleen Norris, Anne Lamott, and film director Paul Schrader. This book should appeal to an audience far beyond authors, for all human beings are meaning makers and storytellers. The Bible is a book of stories in which we find our own stories. Pastors, for example, are some of our best storytellers who evoke meaning in what they say and do, even though we generally don't think of them as writers. The title for this volume, Shouts and Whispers, comes from Flannery O'Connor, who once wrote that, quote, to the hard of hearing you shout, and for the almost blind you draw large and startling figures." Quote. 
Many of the authors here shout loud in their books and in their style, but others suggest that what we need today is a soft whisper, as when Jesus silently doodled in the sand. Not just writers then, but anyone who has ever told a story, loved a story, or needed a story can enjoy this book. Jennifer Holberg Shouts and Whispers For film this week, I review the film called For the Children from the year 2002, a Chinese film. After her husband and her child died, the peasant, Mailei Zhang, founded a school for the children in her isolated, parched village in northwest China. She wasn't a teacher, but she did her best and she loved her kids. She founded the school, she says, Quote, so that the kids may have hope, end quote. Zia Zhu, a gorgeous young woman from Beijing a thousand miles away, and what you might call a real teacher, comes to help at the school. She corrects the pronunciation of the kids, teaches them some English, and encourages Milei to obtain a computer. Of course, mutual cultural shock sets in. Jia stares in belief at the, as the same pail of water is used to wash clothes, rinse your face, make tea with orange rinds, and water the donkey. Milay can only respond to her guests' strange ways with Teacher Jia. You people from Beijing are strange. What transpires is an unfolding friendship of two women from radically different socioeconomic and cultural contexts. Two subplots revolve around the men in their lives, Milei's love for the local film projectionist Wang Xu, and Jia's estrangement from her husband because of her growing affection for Milei and her school. Late in the film, turnabout is fair play when Jia takes the entire class of peasant children to Beijing. For the children, in Mandarin, with English subtitles from the year 2002. And finally this week, for poetry, we've posted a very short prayer attributed to St. Ambrose, the Bishop of Milan, who lived from the year 340 to 397. Lord Jesus Christ, you are for me medicine when I am sick. You are my strength when I need help. You are life itself when I fear death. You are the way when I long for heaven. You are light when all is dark. And you are my food when I need nourishment. A prayer attributed to St. Ambrose, Bishop of Milan. Thank you for joining journeywithjesus.net for Sunday, October 8th, 2006. I'm Daniel B. Clendenin.